Psalm 31, I want you to notice again this morning, verse 19. David, under inspiration, presents one of those very familiar contrasts you find often in the book of Psalms. It says in verse 19, O how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. The words laid up, by the way, don't just mean laid away as in stored up. It actually also includes stacked up. It's like layer upon layer. So that it also means how great is thy goodness. It is loaded. It is heaped upon those who fear God. It's just like Psalm 68, 19. Where David says there, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Verse 19, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Now again, this great goodness of God is set in contrast. It's, it's in comparison, if you will, to all of the trials and afflictions of life. In verse 7, notice the words trouble and adversities. Verse 12, you'll see the words broken, forgotten. He speaks in those verses of slander, lies, reproach from, quote, his enemies and from snares. In verse 11, you see the word fear. David fears so that, yes, David, beloved, is fully aware that there are problems and difficulties in life. He sees and he experiences all of the troubles and all of the trials. However, however, hear this, when comparing those trials to God's great goodness, to his blessings, he always, always in the Psalms ends up with basically the same evaluation. Which is why, you'll notice, he doesn't just refer to, quote, the goodness of God in verse 19. Most everybody does that. God is good, right? It's not just goodness. You'll see verse 19, look at it, it says, great is thy goodness. Great is thy goodness. Furthermore, it's not just great. He also uses an, an interrogative, how great. See the word how? The Hebrew word for how is often translated in the Old Testament as what? W-H-A-T, as in what? It's true. Today people say, shut up. You know, when someone tastes a peppermint shake for the first time at Chick-fil-A, shut up. Yeah, you shut up, whatever. What? This is a liquid candy cane. How? That's the word. How great. And even that's not all. Because you'll notice he front loads the entire thing with an exclamation. Verse 19, the word oh. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which, which you pile up for those who fear you. And again, wow, that is an interesting phone thing you got over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is always the conclusion by David in the Psalms. Always. Troubles? Of course. Yes. However, in contrast, it's spoonfuls of trouble, but rivers of blessings. It is a thimbleful of affliction, but a gallon of benefit. And you know, it's been two weeks now, two weeks since Thanksgiving Day, two weeks past our scheduled time of, of giving gratitude and praise to God. And that always, always reminds me that it's time now 
to be thankful, to be thoughtful, to see our burdens, which are real, for what they really are. Right? And so I hope you listen very carefully this morning. I want to speak on the subject, oh, how great. Father, please help us. Help us in every way, Lord, to understand why this refrain repeated so constantly in your word. That yes, there are trials and troubles, but, but in comparison, help us to understand. And in understanding and seeing, Lord, to be changed in the same way that the man after your own heart was. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody here today knows that life in this world always includes a measure of trials and difficulties. Yea, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer, shall suffer persecution. Jesus did not say, take up your golf clubs and follow me. He did say, take up your cross and follow me. So that yes, even for the believer with the single greatest faith, a man like Job, for a believer with the most devoted heart like David, life has burdens. In fact, if you want a prosperity gospel, and I'm sure in a group this size, some of you do, you're embracing that, you're watching, listening on radio and TV. If you want a prosperity gospel that promises nothing but health and wealth for the child of God, I've got your life verse. It's verse 9. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly for my life is spent with grief. Okay, wait a minute. Never mind. That's depressing. I think it's the next verse. Verse 11. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors. Okay, it's not that life verse. It's the next one. Verse 12. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mine. I am like a broken vessel. Uh, uh, never mind. Maybe it's verse 13. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. Okay, I changed my mind. Apparently, the prosperity gospel needs something out of context to be a life verse. However, the real gospel, the Bible testimony, includes all of these honest, true testimonies from David's life. And Job's, and Joseph's, and Paul's, and Jeremiah's, and Daniel's, and Peter, and James, and Abraham, and Moses, and Hannah, and Esther, and you get the point. As Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 8 and 8, verse 8, when it comes to suffering and even death, quote, there is no discharge from that war. However, there is an additional truth. There is, in God's great mercy, the reason why David always closes these psalms with this contrast. What's the next verse after verse 13? Verse 14, but, however, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God, my times are in thy hand. Okay, that's faith, right? That's trusting, resting in the Lord. And what does all of that faith lead to? Well, beloved, it leads to our text. Oh, how great is thy goodness. In other words, here's the picture. 
I brought a little object lesson, a couple of them. This is my burden. All right, this is it. I mentioned spoonfuls. It's real. For many in this room, it's bitter. And it's hard. But this is the blessing. We said, again, spoonfuls of sorrow, but rivers of blessing. So that this doesn't deny this. That's the health and wealth gospel. This doesn't deny this. It just eclipses it. Biblically, it overshadows it. Look across the page at Psalm 36 for a moment, would you? Notice the superlatives in verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. Verse 7, how? There's that same word again. What? How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Verse 8, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. Thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Now you get the picture, right? God's mercy, way in the heavens. God's faithfulness, high as the clouds. God's righteousness like the mountains. His judgments, deep as the ocean. His loving kindness, how How excellent. God's pleasures flow like a river. In other words, all of these things, all of these blessings, these good things from God, they are described correctly as exceeding all of our needs, all of our expectations, all of our merits. So that what David says in verse 9 sort of summarizes his thoughts. Look at that. For with thee is the fountain of life. Oh, how great. Look again at our text, chapter 31. I want you to see something. In Psalm 31, verse 7, it says, I will be glad. Wait a minute. Verse 6 says, I hated them that regard lying vanities. And the rest of the verses we read that were not very good life verses for prosperity. Yet he says in verse 7 in the middle, I will be glad and rejoice. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul in adversities. He knows about them. The Bible says that he considers them. Now, wait a minute. I will be glad and I will rejoice. So that you see this? Before, after, and in the midst of all of this testimony of trials and afflictions, David says, I will have gladness. He says, I will have joy. How? By trusting, by seeing the truth. Okay, so here's the question. How is it, why is it that this is bigger than this? How is it that some believers in this room right now see all of their blessings and the good things as big and their burdens as small? Three things. The first thing you'll notice, number one, is that the good, the good, outweighs the bad his goodness is greater than all our groanings you see David's groanings in the first verses of this psalm that we read a moment ago or referred to folks those are real they're absolutely real in your life as well but what verse 19 means is that God's goodness is not only real it is generous it is everywhere it is loaded it is stacked up and as far as the eye can see God is good to you and me But pastor, my financial problems, 
<clears throat> my financial problem right now is bigger than my financial blessing. Okay. Let's stipulate that. Let's say that that's true in your life as a comparison, however. Do you know how unfair that is? Do you recognize how wrong and mistaken it is to only hold up your financial burden against your so-called financial blessing? What that basically does is reverse it. You're reversing reality in the face of God. The burden becomes larger than the blessing, which for a believer is not true. It is never the truth, and Christians are followers and children of the truth. Let me put it this way. If you're struggling today financially, then don't just measure that burden against a financial blessing. No, no. You measure it against the entire river of God's goodness and blessings. Faith says, I'm struggling to make my house payment. But I already have a house eternal in the heavens. My table is full. My health is good. My sins are forgiven. I live in a free country. I'm loved eternally by my Creator. I have the Scriptures. I have the Holy Spirit, the local church, healthy kids, air to breathe, water to drink. Never pine for a single blessing you don't have so that you're oblivious to the multitudes of blessings that you do have. But pastor, inflation! I know. We went and watched the kids at the mall singing. What a blessing that was. And afterwards, Ben said, uh, I want to go home and have some scrambled eggs. So I said, okay. We stopped at Publix. Man, eggs are $6.50 a dozen. I mean, they were $1.50, right? Just hours ago, it seems like. <laughs> so I stared at them. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that a mistake? I said, okay, in my mind, that's 55 cents an egg. I use three eggs for Ben, and so that's $1.65 for dinner. And then I thought, I truly am in the company of the martyrs. <laughs> I too bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Inflation. Actually, I bear in my body the marks of Santa Claus. Amen? If you, whatever. <laughs> Can you believe peppermint shakes at Chick-fil-A are $4.89? That's outrageous. I know, right? I'll take four. I'll take six. You can afford it. Actually, what's outrageous is 700 calories for one shake, which is actually a bargain. 700 calories, $4.89, your entire day's uh, intake you need right there. Can I remind you that the good in your life as a child of God always, not sometimes, it always outweighs the bad. Let me put it to you this way. I see Pat Morrell back there, a little brother Pat. A few years ago in this pew right here where the frost are seated, we had a mother and a son from Guatemala. Her little boy had no arms. One of the tragedies in Guatemala are the exposed electrical wires that so many children grab a hold of and they will lose their hands or their arms or their entire lives. In this case, when her son, her little boy, grabbed a hold of those wires, his mother instinctively grabbed him to pull him away, and she lost the use of both of her hands. 
So that made it very hard for her to care for her son, who now has no arms. And Brother Pat back here helped to get them to the United States so that she could have surgery on her hands by a very kind doctor. The boy. That little boy was a joy to behold. Because you know what? He just smiled through the whole service. He smiled afterwards. He, like any other boy, he runs and he jumps and he plays because he's a boy who hasn't learned yet to focus on just one sorrow in his life. In fact, typical of childhood, he didn't focus on all, just one blessing in life. And yes, beloved, it is the wise Christian who sees all of the goodness of God and he sees it as, oh, how great. So how about this? Next time you want to count your burdens, let's say it's the burden of a difficult marriage. Put that trial on the scale, and on the other side, don't just put the absence of a good marriage. You know, going around all the time looking at other couples and comparing and and feeling sorrowful. Don't just put that on the other side. Put all that God has done and is doing for you. Put the grace of God The fact that you can walk, or you have arms, or you're not in a wheelchair. Put the abundant provision of food and clothing and a home. Put your eyesight over there and the simple fact that God gives you air to breathe, sunshine and family and friends, and if you're saved, eternal life and love and His Word and a sound mind. I mean, look, folks, we drink from the rivers of God's pleasures. With our God, there is a fountain of life. And it is true for the Christian, the good always outweighs the bad. There's a second thing you'll notice. Number two, the good outlasts the bad. It doesn't just outweigh it in that there's more of it. It's also better because they're eternal. Look at these verses, verse 5 of our text. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Oh, thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. What an amazing thing for David to say. Into your hands I give you my spirit. You've redeemed me. Go down to verse 23. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth, preserveth the faithful. The verse before our chapter, the last verse of chapter 30, look at verse 12. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee, Forever. Wait a minute. Forever? Redeemed? Preserved? Yes. Folks, when it comes to God's goodness, there's no expiration date. I don't know about you, but ever since COVID, when you do shop at Publix now, you have to check the expiration dates a lot. Otherwise, when you get home, you'll notice you've got about a half hour left in those $6 eggs. Amen. <laughs> <coughs> In fact, I want you to think about this. Even if you've lost your perspective that the good outweighs the bad, the truth of the matter, it still stands that the good for a child of God outlasts the bad. Because that disease you have, if it's chronic, if it's terminal, for a child of God, it's also temporal. But God's love for you 
eternal in the heavens. That tear in your eye, it'll be replaced by another one. But one day, God's going to wipe that tear away. Why do you think God told us that in his word? Because he wants you to know, he, he wants you to know it. Your name in heaven will never be wiped away. That blessing's forever. Think about that. All the bitter cups that are bad in this life, all of them, every cup of sorrow will eventually and forever be gone. But all of the good things are going to last forever. Now our problem is we don't really, really with conviction and understanding believe that. We do not fully appreciate the meaning of the word everlasting. I remember one year in VBS, we gave the kids some candy, and they were called everlasting gobstoppers. They were little jawbreakers, about 30 of them in a box. And you know, they last forever. Because Willy Wonka said they're everlasting. They never lose their flavor, and they never lose their size. Okay, then why put 30 in a box? Those kids polishing them off in five minutes. It's kind of like Everlast batteries. You know, that's false advertising. Everlast, there's an expiration date right there under the word Everlast. Pastor, that's because everlasting doesn't really mean everlasting. Oh, it does when God says it. Everlasting life. God says that the life that he gives us, which is more abundantly, is everlasting. It's the reason why Jesus told that woman at the well in John chapter 4, the water that I shall give thee. It's not like that water. It'll be in you. A well springing up into everlasting life. Now wait a minute. Everlasting burdens? No. Everlasting tears? Nope. Everlasting sorrows? Not if you're a Christian. Everlasting problems? No. But life and blessing and mercy, and light, and loving kindness, and godly pleasures are all everlasting. Believer, the good outlasts the bad. When we were all studying the book of Revelation over the summer, I was reminded of something about the glories of heaven. I was reminded of how God describes in Revelation 21 and 22, there are no tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. No need of the sun, for the glory of God and the Lamb will lighten it. And then it says, the gates of it, remember, shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. <clears throat> in other words, God says at eternity we will live in perfect goodness, suspended, if you will, suspended forever. Have you ever had a moment that was perfect? Perfect sense of peace? or perfect joy, or perfect love, and you wished that that goodness would last longer, guess what? One day it's going to last forever. That perfect sunset you saw, that perfect moment with a child, that perfect fellowship with Christ, that perfect wave, that perfect meal, or joy, or kindness, to get truly spiritual, that perfect round of golf. Amen, Jason Pobiak. Yes. Can you imagine the very best moments of God's goodness to you on earth, destined for eternity? This is why troubles always look like this compared to this with men like David. The good 
outweighs the bad. The good outlasts the bad. Number three, I want you to notice the good outvalues the bad. I want you to notice again verse 19, our text, because I'm not sure if you noticed the remarkable promise at the end of this verse. Verse 19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou, here it is, hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Wait a minute, wrought? You know what that word means, right? It means God made it. He's saying that God makes, He crafts the good things. He's crafted, designed. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And the Bible says He wrought those good things for you. By the way, notice it says He wrought His goodness for them that trust Him and what? Before the sons of men. God is good to you in part so that others can see His goodness in you and glorify God. And yes, anything that God makes far outvalues what trouble or burden that life or Satan makes. Pastor, my neighbor did this to me. My neighbor said this. Okay. Trust God, which means love your neighbor. You don't have to like him, but love your neighbor. That's the command. And then he'll do this. He'll have you see this and not this. Look at this and not this. His blessings always outvalue his, the burdens. In fact, the word rot reminds me that with God, our God, He even makes, he makes all things work together for good. Oh, how great. This is why David said in Psalm 34, a couple chapters ahead, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He just invites people, try my goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, the computer in my office is constantly trying to get me to upgrade certain software. And you are too, probably getting these pop-up requests. I'm always getting them, then, you know, it goes sort of like this. Do you want a, a newer version? And it'll say, remind me later, yes or no. Well, if you hit no, it never just goes away. It goes to another more ominous button to click. Are you sure? And then you, have to, you literally have to click on, yes, I miss out. I want to miss out. Or yes, decline. I don't want to have friends the rest of my life. Or, or yes, I want leprosy. Yes, I just want you to stop this. <clears throat> That's their pitch for downloading their newest upgrade. It's fear. When it comes to God's goodness, he just says, come and taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because his good always outvalues the bad. See, Pastor, are you telling me that I should look at my life as a Christian and in the face of all of my struggles and in the face of all of my trials and afflictions and tears, I'm supposed to look at my life and see the good in my life as this as compared to the bad as this? Are you saying that constantly I go around, is that Pollyannish? Constantly I go around just looking at the good and the blessings and counting them? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm getting from the text, to be honest with you, is that when we compare life's burdens and trials to God's blessings, His goodness looks more like this. 
Oh, how great is thy goodness. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, okay, you are. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Because even Paul says, look, our trials and our afflictions, which are but for a moment, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed, and no moving. I wonder who would say this morning, Pastor Blair, like I'm a child of God. You know, again, Brother Scott will tell you, before Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, this is a theme. Of what, Pastor? Thanksgiving's not a day on a calendar, just one year, out of a year. Rejoice in the Lord always. Written from prison. Written from a jail. Content in whatever state we're in. Yes, always, constantly, thanksgiving. Gratitude, praise, perspective. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today, and I'm saved by the grace of God. I have those eternal blessings, the glories that shall await. But I needed the reminder today, and God has convicted me and spoken to my heart about something in my own life right now. Would you pray for me? Who would say that as a child of God where you are through the building and God bless you and God bless you? And here's the reason why this is important even on a Sunday morning to preach this because as David said, he gives these things to you but before the sons of men. They need to see that you're different. The lost, the world, your family, they need to see in you something miraculous. A perspective that is eternal. Several times in the message, just as the text itself says. We noted that all of these promises, the good outweighs the bad and outlasts the bad, outvalues the bad, all of those are only given to believers. Because the good does not outlast the bad if you're not saved. The bad goes on forever. It's a place called hell. Forever without God. There is no good there. So if you're here today and you're not saved, I want you to understand that God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. God sent his son. He died for your sins. He suffered. He bled. He was buried. He was resurrected. He's alive. He's the Savior of the world. And he will be your Lord and Savior if you'll trust in him. And then these blessings can be yours, these promises. Pastor, I don't know for sure. You mentioned about the name being written in heaven. I don't know for sure that my name is there. But I need to know and I want to know. And if you're home listening, pray for me, Pastor Blake, that I can know that my sins are forgiven. With heads bowed, eyes closed. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands where you are? We want to pray for you. That's all right. God bless you and amen for that. And amen, sir. Anyone else? Pastor Blake, I'm not sure about my salvation. On my left, yes. Anyone else? We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. Brother Andy will be here at the front if you want to speak with someone. We would love to take the scriptures and pray with you. Show you what it means to be saved. Otherwise, Christians, this is the altar. This is a busy time of year. In some ways, too busy. In many ways, too carnal. In some people's hearts and minds. But that doesn't have to be true of you or I. You don't have to get stressed. You can be blessed. 
grateful, thankful, and in so doing, glorifying your God in heaven. Father in heaven, I pray you'll help all of us in this room to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. You gave us an entire book of nothing but psalms and songs that contrast burdens with blessings. And always they're singing, singing, constant singing and praise. May that be true of our lives. For those who've asked for prayer, Lord, to that end, strengthen them. For the, the ones we saw raise their hands this morning and say, pray for me for salvation. We do right now. We pray for them. They will open their hearts to Christ and be saved, trusting only in him for their salvation. Be glorified by the invitation, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.